loaded episode of the Rami Lavi podcast coming up. You thought there was no sports to talk about? Well, I just talked for over an hour about sports, and I think it's a pretty good episode. I talked about Juan Soto and all the rumors swirling around him. Then I talked about him in the Home Run Derby and winning the Home Run Derby. Talked about the MLB All-Star Game, and of course, one of my favorite sports nights of the year, the ESPYs. Plus, the new Derek Jeter documentary is out. The first episode was out on Monday night. The second episode will be tonight on ESPN. All that and a whole lot more coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experience experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today what's up everyone episode 79 welcome back to the rami la vie podcast I didn't record last night because I wanted to wait till after the SBs to recap everything, which also went late. So it's now after midnight on Wednesday night here at the studio in Baltimore, Maryland at the 105.7 The Fan Studio. But, you know, working for you guys. I do it all the time. Just wanted to record here. I'm not going to be recording tomorrow night uh, because I'm not going to be in the studio and a bunch of other stuff. So instead, I decided to do tonight and then episode 80. We'll see what we do. So that's number one tonight is the only night of the year the one night of the entire year 365 days there is not a single sporting event the mlb all-star game was yesterday the home run derby the day before by the way they should be playing the futures game today because mlb if you want to promote your talent and your future of the game which they should want to do you should be playing the futures game tonight there's no reason not to be but major league baseball we know how they are when it comes to actually trying to grow and promote the game they prefer not to so they play the futures game on sunday when there's a full slate of major league games either way baseball resumes tomorrow the yankees have a double header in houston which is great thank you rob manfred for that one but for today there was the espies the espies was today and for me it's a nostalgia thing more than ever and we'll talk about the espies a little bit later but that was the only sporting event if you want to call it that today and i was watching from the beginning of the uh pregame show to everything else that happened um the the red carpet show and everything that came along with it i was all over 
the Espies. Uh, I love it. I eat it up. I eat that material up. So it was great for me. Like, it was awesome. Nostalgia and, and some of the moments, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. Also, I got one of my favorite compliments, and I really just want to uh, say thank you to everyone who listens, but I got one of my favorite compliments today. Uh, I was out this evening for something, and uh, actually, <laughs> my team won. A uh, My softball team won the championship, and we had a barbecue, which is really nice. So if anyone's listening, thank you. Um, and one of the guys there, I was talking sports because that's what I usually do, even when I'm in public. And it's funny, I've uh, I had two experiences, and so two sidetracked with two stories. One uh, was I was with a famous, I guess, sportscaster somewhere, and I saw him. And I'm not going to mention the name. And I was like, hey, what about what do you think about this? What do you think about that? He's like, what, you think I talk sports all day? Like, that's my job. Like, I don't talk sports here. I was like, cool. <laughs> and then the other was with Mike Richter. Uh, I saw he was talking to Kevin Weeks. Um, and the two of them were, were talking at one of the Ranger events that I went to during the playoffs. And I asked Mike Richter, I was like, I just honest question are you talking hockey? And I may have told this story on the pod before, but I was like, are you guys talking hockey or are you guys just talking? And he's like, always hockey, always hockey. And I love that. So when I am not doing this and I, hopefully I don't get to the point where I'm so jaded and so burnt out from talking sports that I end up not talking sports when it's not my job. (laughs) Um, and, uh, hopefully I will continue to love talking sports. I do it because it's what I love doing. Um, and I hope to continue to love doing that. So I was talking sports and obviously it was a baseball event. So it made sense that I was talking sports and I was talking about the all-star game and a couple other things with some people there. And someone said to me, I could listen to you talk sports for hours. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. I'm like, well, first of all, I kind of do that for a living, even though the first thing they told me when I took this job was, Hey, you turn your mic off and don't talk. (laughs) That was the first thing they told me, but I have my podcast, so I don't need to talk on the air uh, on the radio station when I'm not doing my podcast. So that's fine. Uh, and I told them, I was like, Hey, listen to my podcast. By the way, I'm not videoing tonight and it sucks, even though I have a stain on my shirt. So I don't really mind that much. Uh, I put on a hoodie, realized it was dirty. Anyway, um, I'm not recording videoing it tonight, so I don't know how we'll get any video content from this episode. Also, the last video from last episode didn't come out so great also, so some of the video content. I'm, c- I'm coming out with a new one. Um, just dropped a one about Juan Soto in that situation yesterday, so I'm coming out with another one. But uh, yeah, forgot to bring my camera with me to the studio, so no video for the episode tonight. But um, in general, when people tell me stuff like that about... Uh, they enjoy listening to me talk sports or they love the podcast. I had three separate people reach out to me this week or four, I think who reached out and were like, Hey, listening to the podcast, send me screenshots, send me a video, send me something just like, Hey, enjoying the podcast. Or there's some people who consistently after every episode, there's one, one, one person in particular, but there's probably, I'd say there's a group of three or four people that after almost every single episode, they'll send me what they thought about the episode and different takes and where they agreed, where they disagreed and what they thought about certain things that I said or correct me if I was wrong. And I love that. Like that is motivation to me because that means that you're listening, you care, there's an actual audience. I'm growing a community like I talked about a few episodes ago when I did officially change the name of the podcast. And that really motivates me. That makes me feel like I want to keep doing this and I want to get on and keep like I'm actually reaching people. I'm actually sharing something with people and people actually appreciate it and are listening to it. even if it's a small group. And I know I I always said I don't necessarily do it for the listeners because I'm trying to build a portfolio and build my career. But at the same time, having the listeners and knowing they're there is so uh, meaningful and so important to me. And it really motivates me and helps me uh, keep going. So. I really, really, really greatly appreciate everyone who reaches out. So if you're listening right now, send me a text. Shoot me a text. Be like, hey, 
I'm listening. I either like it or hate it. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, I it's just the the thought that counts. Um, the Aspies went really long, by the way. So that's why I set my mention. It's after midnight already. But the Aspies went super long. Um, Dick Vitale was the one. I think he had like a 20-minute acceptance speech, which was worth every single minute. And I'm going to try and get a highlight video because I'm going to try and cut it up for um, the radio station. But it was worth every second of it. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, you should definitely go back and try and find it. It's probably up on YouTube by now. Uh, his acceptance speech um, for winning the Jimmy V, uh, I think it's the Perseverance Award. Awesome stuff. Like that stuff gets me every time. I talk about it all the time. Um, but they had to rush the rest of the uh, the show after that. But he's like, yeah, don't worry. I see the thing going. Kind of similar to what Jimmy V said. Kind of what I said. Kind of similar to Jimmy V talking about, I see the ticker moving. Um, hopefully Dick Vitale is not dying as he is in remission, recovering from cancer. Um, but his speech was super moving and incredible. By the way, I, it's so funny. I feel like I haven't started the podcast yet. And I'm what like five minutes in, something like that. Uh, because I can just talk forever. I Oftentimes, people tell me they want to come on as a guest. And by the way, if you want to come on as a guest so badly, just use the the, the function that I talked about it's in every link, every description of the episode. Uh, there is a link to send a voicemail, a voice message to the podcast. And if it's good, I'll play it and I'll respond to it and I'll talk about it on the air. So, um, but I I don't have a co-host. I could talk for hours. And it's so funny because I think about some of the stuff that I talk about and I specifically talk about sports. And I don't share really stories. I don't share just like kind of just relaxed, laid back talking. And that's something that it doesn't bother me about the podcast. If I was doing a longhand radio show, obviously with like segments and I was doing like a four hour show. Yeah, I'd have more just conversational uh, you know, conversations, I guess, and tell more stories and stuff like that. Sometimes I crack myself up. Sometimes I'll just say something uh, like a line here and there. It's funny. But when you don't have someone to work off of a co-host, then it's hard to do that. Um, and not that I'm saying I don't want a co-host. I would theoretically want a co-host, but I would be extremely, extremely picky about who I chose. That's the honest truth. Um, so that's just, you know, why I don't tell stories and talk for hours, because if you ask anyone, I get it from my grandmother. It was then passed down to my dad, to me. I can tell the same stories over and over again. Ask my wife. I can tell the same stories over and over again and make them sound like it could be a story about nothing. I told a story about driving in the snow for the first time in my life. Um, and I think we had like a 50 minute drive and I maybe 25 minutes of it. I was telling this story about driving in the snow for the first time. The story could have taken three seconds. So anyone who knows me um, <laughs> knows that I ha- I'm one to do that from time to time. So, um, but it's just I'm not going to do that. Like I said, it's a little bit of you know kind of kind kind of trying to keep it to the content of the episode. But also there's the lack of a co-host thing. Not that I'm advocating for a co-host. Um, I would need a producer first, and then we could talk about a co-host after that. But um, I'm going to get so many texts and DMs from people. Oh, I'll co-host with you. Uh, no offense to anyone. I'm just going to be extremely picky. Not that it wouldn't be uh, someone who reaches out. But if you really think that you are uh, a, a good qualified co-host, sure, hit me up. By the way, um, if you heard at the beginning of this episode and in the middle of last episode, we have a new sponsor. Um, so please, it actually really helps me. It really helps the podcast if you go 
to the link in the bio. And by the way, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, an online therapist, someone who you could just shoot text to whenever you're feeling down or whatever, or just want someone who you could reach out to totally confidentially and never have to meet the person. A lot of times, like it, you know, it's like, hey, you should go to this therapist, or you, should, you know, like your neighbor's going to the same person or something like that. And I remember uh, another story in Israel, they used to like send everyone to like the same one dude, um, like uh, in the yeshiva in Israel. So that's kind of story for another time um but uh at the same time um you know you could just have a confidential zoom face call facetime call phone call and just private text back and forth and it's not the worst thing in the world to have someone that you can talk to on a pretty regular basis uh everyone can use it especially with the way the world is now and so uh if you want to use it using my link uh betterhelp.com slash rami or using my first name rami r-a-m-i at uh when you check out um it'll get you 10 percent off and it'll really help me continue to grow the podcast which is ultimately uh what i want and what i hope everyone else wants i mentioned my schedule again i'm just going to mention it one more time um (laughs) because it's on my notes no i'm going to mention it one more time just in case you missed it i'm going to record today meaning right now it is thursday morning uh the episode will be up today and then um probably the next episode will be up Maybe Sunday morning, we'll see about that. I might hold the episode till Monday. The first sports topic I want to talk about, because uh, that's what this is, after all, a sports podcast still hasn't changed, um, although it's not called a sports podcast anymore. Uh, the Rami V podcast is about sports, in case you haven't noticed. Not a lot of sports to talk about the last couple of weeks, but I'm still trying to keep it about sports. Uh, is Juan Soto. That's the first topic. And I was shocked. I kind of mentioned it. I, I, I talked about it on the podcast. Um, it was right after the rumors first started swirling. So it hadn't even hit the news cycle yet when I recorded. Um, and I talked about Juan Soto and I posted the video how the Yankees and Mets should give away everything. And that was met with such, I, I don't know, Yankee fans were like, no, we, we can't trade for him. I'd like such disdain. I don't know, such like... I, I was shocked by the reaction, not only to me, I was listening to New York Sports Talk Radio the entire next day and listening to the shows I listened to uh, on Monday, that Monday, and to hear people think that you shouldn't get Juan Soto, that that was an opinion from New York sports fans, specifically from Yankee fans, was astonishing to me. And I I couldn't understand it. It's it's not even a question. Like, of course you should go get that guy if you can. So I kind of wanted to break it down, though. I didn't want to just say, oh, of course you should get him. I asked people who I spoke to what their specific objections were. I listened on the radio and tried to hear what people's specific objections were. I came up with a list of objections that people had for me. And and here's kind of the list that I came up with. So first of all, people said... Well, we don't want to give away the young prospects. It means we're giving away a pitching prospect. It probably means we're giving away Volpe. probably means we're giving away uh, Jason Dominguez also. probably means we're giving away Glaber Torres too because the Nationals are going to want a piece for now back. Cool. That kind of makes sense if you ask me. You're going to have to give stuff up to get something. Right. That was the first objection. Get it. Next one is, well, we can't sign both him and Judge and we'd rather sign Judge. Okay. Number two, well, we could just get him in free agency in three years. Okay. Last one, this team is good enough without him. And then another one I heard, how do you know he can perform in New York? To all those objections that people are coming at me with, 
here's what I have to say about the young prospects. I'm going to tell a story that I don't know if people remember, but most of you who listen to this probably remember. I'm old enough to remember 2010 pretty vividly. Yankees had just come off winning the World Series. The guy who beat them in Game 1 of the World Series and handled them pretty well was a guy named, by the name of Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee then signed the contract away from the Phillies after he was traded by Cleveland to the Phillies for that postseason run. He then signed the contract away from the Phillies to the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners were a dumpster fire of a team and by the deadline decided that they regretted signing Cliff Lee and were going to trade him. The Yankees had a trade in place for Cliff Lee. The holdup, Jesus Montero. Brian Cashman decided, "Mm, I think he's going to be the catcher of our future. Posada's not going to be here forever. I don't want to give up Jesus Montero. Cliff Lee was then traded to the Texas Rangers and dominated the Yankees in the American League Championship Series en route to the World Series. If the Yankees made that trade and get Cliff Lee, then maybe they go to the World Series that year. Maybe they win the World Series that year. Maybe the most recent championship is not 2009, it's 2010. That's a whole nother year later. And then they have Cliff Lee for another couple more years while he was still at the top of his game. So where's Jesus Montero today? Oh, he was traded about three years later for Michael Pineda, a much less of a pitcher than Cliff Lee ever was, and especially in that season. Cliff Lee could have been the difference between a championship and not winning a championship. Michael Pineda was never going to be the difference between winning a championship and not. It was almost like a rehabilitation project by the time the Yankees got him because they were like, hey, this guy showed so much promise early on in his career and it kind of went sideways for him and let's try and revive his career. And he was an okay Yankee. He wasn't bad. His best season was when he was cheating with the stuff on his neck and then after he got suspended and thrown out of the game in Fenway, he was never the same again for the Yankees. That was his best run as a Yankee. And that's the guy who we hugged the prospect for. So you have a known commodity in a guy like Juan Soto. And you're going to hug a guy like the Martian because we call him the Martian, Jason Dominguez, or Anthony Volpe because we didn't sign a shortstop this offseason because of Anthony Volpe. And the other point is, how old is Anthony Volpe? 21? How old is Jason Dominguez? 20? Juan Soto is 23. He's only a couple years older than them, and we already know what he is. He's basically a prospect with how young he is. There are prospects right now that are the same age as him, and oh, he's already won a World Series. He's already beaten the Astros. He just won the Home Run Derby. So don't tell me, oh, we need these young players because we're thinking long-term, we're thinking the future. The future? This guy is the future, and he's also the present, and that's an important piece of it. Because you talk about you can't sign him and judge. Well, first of all, I don't think that Juan Soto is going to immediately sign with the team that he gets traded to. I don't think Scott Boris is going to allow him to do that. I think he wants him to hit free agency. Because as you've seen, he's turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract. We know what his value is going to be in free agency. It's going to be insane. He's going to be a 25-year-old with five or six full years of experience at the major league level. At a dominant level, most likely barring any injury. So for Juan Soto, it's not about signing him at all. It's about the three years, the three postseason runs this year and the next two years of team control that you have on Juan Soto and making a run in one of those years and seeing if you can make a championship happen during that time. While you have Soto, your outfield would be Soto, Judge, and Stanton. So it has nothing to do with signing Aaron Judge. People saying you can't sign Aaron Judge if you sign Soto. That's not true at all. Actually, it puts more pressure on Aaron Judge. It's like, hey, dude, we got this kid Soto. Look how he just played. We just won the World Series with him. Or we just came really close to the World Series with him. 
Don't you want to sign? Don't you want to stick around for this? And if Judge doesn't want to go, then he doesn't want to stay, then he wasn't going to stay anyway. But it doesn't change the Aaron Judge situation. You sign him to the seven-year deal, and then two years later, you make a decision on Soto. Maybe you won two World Series in three years. And it's like, all right, we can let him walk. Or maybe it's you won two World Series in three years. It's like, yeah, we want to make this guy the face of our franchise for the next 15 seasons. And then why do you care to sign him? Of course you're going to sign him. You're going to give him the money gladly. In the last four years of Aaron Judge, you'll have them play next to each other. And it's fine. Another prospect I forgot to mention, just because Greg Bird was also always a guy who the Yankees hugged as a prospect. Look at Jorge Mateo, who's the guy who's playing shortstop now for the Orioles. Yeah, he's got a great glove, but he doesn't have any stick. Like, Think back to the prospects that we hugged in the past. Like, It's ridiculous to me that we're doing this over again. Another thing is the team is really good. That was another objection that people came to me, right? Well, I think it's the opposite. If this team was last year's team where they weren't close at all, they weren't a Juan Soto away from being a for sure championship, then I would tell you, yeah, don't go after him. Now, this team is not a Juan Soto away. This team could win the World Series today. Obviously, they could use a couple of additions, but Juan Soto puts you over the top. So because you're so close, that's why you do trade for a guy like Juan Soto. It's actually the opposite. It, it, it boggles my mind. Now, the can he handle New York question. A lot of people ask this question. Can he handle New York? How do you know he's going to be good in New York? You can give him this giant extension. First of all, like I said, you're not going to give him this giant extension right away. It's two and a half years. Second, did you see what he did in the All-Star game? With all the rumors swirling, he goes up there and he hits for the home run derby and wins it. With the stories coming out that he was allegedly not allowed to be chartered by the Nationals after he turned down the giant contract and allegedly took a commercial flight and allegedly landed at 1.30 in the morning and he still went out and won the home run derby, yeah, he could perform in New York. He could perform with anything. We saw him perform against the Yankees' biggest rival already, and I saw that on, I mentioned that on last episode. And I really think what this comes down to is how Steinbrenner broke the Yankees. He broke Yankee fans. Where's the 27 mob? Where are the guys yelling and screaming, we could get anyone we want, we could sign anyone we want, we could do whatever we want? Hal Steinbrenner broke that crowd. <laughs> now they're saying, no, we need a penny pinch. We, by, by not signing people, by not going and paying Aaron Judge $350 million, all of a sudden it's like, and talking about like all the different things with like the luxury tax and all that, all of a sudden people think that we're poor. People think that we're cheap. Like Yankee fans don't want to go get this guy. And I think Hal needs to look at that. And there's going to be a lot of stuff. There's going to be a lot of glorifying the past and the George Steinbrenner days Although not all of it was great, as you saw in the first episode of the Jeter Doc, but that's going to be coming up over the next few weeks. Everyone's going to be talking about the past. Everyone's going to be talking about George. Everyone's going to be talking about that. Hal might want to say, oh, F you, Yankee fans. I'll I'll go get him for him. And he'll go to Brian Cashman and say, do whatever it takes, buddy. I want to see this happen because I want to shut up those fans. And maybe he thinks, I don't even need to think about re-signing this guy for another two and a half years, and we'll see how that goes. But I want him in the building today so that no one can say that I didn't go for him. Now, the last thing is, do I think they'll actually go do it? I told you all the reasons why they have to do it, why they should do it, why they must do it. They won't do it. I don't think the Yankees are going to make the move. I think they're going to make different moves to tweak the roster. Brian Cashman has a history of holding prospects and hugging prospects, like I mentioned. Brian Cashman has a history of tweaking the roster and not doing a major overhaul. And I don't think this is going to be a trade that the Yankees make. That's just me. But the dude, like I said, he's the perfect guy. And after apparently at 2 o'clock in the morning landing in L.A., he goes out there with everything going on, faces the media, answers the questions, and then wins the home run derby. This kid is special, and that's why you want to go get him. Speaking of the home run derby, 
One of the funny things in the Home Run Derby is Pete Alonso. Everyone loves to make fun of Pete Alonso. He treats it like the World Series, blah, blah, blah. First of all, it's hilarious. It's really fun to make fun of Pete Alonso and make fun of Met fans treating it like it's the biggest deal in the world. But that doesn't change how awesome it is that Pete Alonso takes it this seriously. To me, that is everything. To me, I want Pete Alonso to take it this seriously. I want everyone to take it this seriously. Because if the superstars in the league are taking the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game this seriously then it's a good thing for the sport. Then the game gets competitive. And by the way, that's why baseball's all-star game is the best all-star game because you can't not you can't half-ass a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. You can not play defense in basketball. You could not block as an offensive line. You could not tackle as a defensive lineman in football. But in baseball, if a guy's throwing 95 and it's coming at you, he's got to throw a tight slider against you, you got to put your A swing on it. You got to put your full effort. And that's why it is the best all-star game. So I want the superstars to take it seriously. So Pete Alonso, we can make fun of it, and it's fun to make fun of. But him taking it seriously is awesome for baseball. It's a really good thing for baseball. Also, they mic'd up a bunch of people in the All-Star game. They should have everyone. I know that's Fox, one is Fox, one is ESPN. They should have everyone mic'd up during the Home Run Derby. It's a little bit of a weirder broadcast already, so you don't even need the broadcasters because the home runs, the balls are all flying at once. The broadcasters couldn't keep up. The TV couldn't keep up. The scorekeeper couldn't keep up with how many balls are flying around at the same time. They made the mistake. They added an extra 30 seconds to Albert Pujols, which gave him a, a chance to go to the second round. Ultimately did go to the second round. They didn't count one of Schwarber's home runs. All that. We get it. It all happened. Now we could go back to the old way where guys are taking pitches and each round lasts forever and there's 10 outs. So guys are taking pitches. <laughs> Nick Swisher swung and missed on one of those. This is more home runs, although... I don't think anyone still hit more home runs than Josh Hamilton did in a single round. But once it's different, once it's really different, just mic up everyone. Mic up the pitcher, mic up the catcher, mic up the hitter. We want to hear the communication. We want to hear what's going through their heads. We know they'll still stay locked in because of how locked in everyone was during the All-Star game while they were mic'd up. So I think mic up everyone. That's just one tweak for the home run derby going forward. Um, Also, speaking of Pujols and going to the second round, I think he had an advantage that no one else had. And it's a weird advantage. I noticed it. He wasn't hit getting the balls out at all at the beginning. And then he made an adjustment. He stood a little more upright and he just had this giant leg quick kick and was just trying to get as much power as he could. A lot of guys will just go with their regular stance and not change too much because they don't want to ruin their swing for the second half of the season or any part of their career. Albert Pools is like, dude, I'm done. I'm not playing that well anyway. I might as well change my whole swing. Instead of being as crouched as he usually is with his hands high up and the little bounce and the small leg kick, the tight leg kick, he was standing almost upright with just his hands down, a giant leg kick and swinging for the fences. And it really helped him because he ended up hitting a bunch of home runs. And when he went on that homer surge during those extra 30 seconds that he was awarded for being old and for being cool and for being a legend everyone loved it and he hit those bombs and it was electric it was awesome so kudos to Pujols for realizing I have nothing to lose I'm gonna put it all out there he made it awesome the all-star game itself was also awesome it started with Albert Pujols giving a pregame speech to the NL team a really awesome speech also about just like appreciating everything and being able to give to the next generation just really cool and respecting the game and all the stuff that you like to hear from a veteran like Albert Pujols. For me, the all-star game is nostalgia. So like I said, I love that the game is intense and they take it seriously. I was annoyed that we didn't get to see the home run derby for the win. Um, That would have been something fun. Um, But it's nostalgia for me. Just all the years of me sitting, like I said, I would sit at my grandmother's house in Silver Spring and that's where I watched the beginning of the home run derby this year. Um, And that was just, that was awesome. Just sitting on her couch the way I did when I was a little kid, just watching the beginning of the Home Run Derby. That's 
something that kind of like brought me back a little bit. And so maybe that's why I like it. I don't know. Maybe there's other people out there who are like, dude, the All-Star game sucks. <laughs> like the Home Run Derby sucks. SB suck. But um, I'm not a hater. I like to look positively at things. And so I have the nostalgia and the All-Star game. Like I said, it's one of the best sporting events uh, as far as all-star game sport in all sports because of how seriously everyone takes it and I think they've actually made it better adding the mic'd up players adding the on-field interviews and everything um, is just cool it brings you closer to the game the the ump mic the ump camera sorry all that stuff like and I think like yes some of it could be incorporated to daily baseball games and some of it can't obviously for obvious reasons because at the end of the day the, the games mean something mean a little bit more but um, it's still it's still they've made it really fun while keeping the integrity of the game. And that's that's something that's awesome. Um, Rob Manfred was at the game, but was not shown at all. And to me, it's just such a cowardly move by Rob Manfred. He didn't rep- he didn't present the trophy, nothing. And just was a really cowardly move by Rob Manfred and just proves at what a, what a coward he's been throughout this whole process. It's not only that he's changing things and trying to do things behind the scenes. He's also not willing to face the fans and face the booze and face the music. Um, another negative from the All-Star game, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overload it with negatives. Mike Trout didn't play. Mike Trout, what are you doing? You're the face of the franchise. You're the best player in the game. Understand what that means to baseball. Understand that you need to be playing. Understand that people want to see you. That if you're trying to grow the game, you have to be out there as the face of it. And he didn't play because he's like, yeah, I want to rest for the second half. Dude, your team sucks. Your team is awful. Your team's not going anywhere. By the way, the only reason I'm upset, and people probably think I complain about baseball a lot. Um, baseball, I love baseball. And, and part of the reason I complain so much about it is because I'm scared that what's going to happen is we're going to lose the game entirely. Some organization like the live tour or something like that like we're seeing in golf is going to come in and say wow this league is divided it's falling apart the owners hate the players the players hate the owners rob manfred is leading it to a wreck we're going to come in and we're going to make a baseball league and we're going to pay them endless money just to draw the star players out and we'll start our own league where there's mic'd up players in every game where there's different things in every game where there's a home run derby after 10 innings to decide the winner of the game in every game And we'll lose all the things that everyone so closely guards because we weren't willing to adapt, because we weren't willing to move, because we weren't willing to be uh, progressive, for lack of a better term, as a league, to be innovative as a league. So we're going to end up losing the league entirely. So that's just an interesting point that I think people don't realize. And that's why it upsets me so much when I see certain things about baseball, like the post-game press conferences not being broadcast live everywhere, the way they do it in the NBA, on Twitter, on YouTube, all that stuff. Like, Grow the game. Grow the game. What I talked about earlier with the Futures game. Mike Trout not playing in the game. And I know that happens in other sports also, but it's like, come on, enough is enough. And that really upset me. Um, What's interesting that I did notice about the uh, mic'd up players is that they're still so locked in. So like, no matter, like, they're asking them questions. The broadcast is trying to interact with them and they're just locked in. Like it was so cool to hear Alec Manoa pitching and to hear uh, like the, the conversation between Trevino and, uh, and, and, and Nestor Cortez going back and forth and talking about, he's like, Hey, I want cutter down and in. Hey, I want slider. Like that was so awesome. And them communicating what, Hey, what do you want here? That was so cool, but they weren't really talking to the broadcast, but I didn't need the broadcast to talk. The broadcast could keep quiet. And we'll just hear them talk and communicate back and forth. It was that was super cool. Clayton Kershaw before the game, they ask him like, "Hey, Clayton, you have to face Otani and Judge at the top of the lineup. What are you going to do?" And he's a guy who's known to be an intense guy before starts, and he goes, "I'm going to throw it as hard as I can, 
and it'll probably go 91, and hopefully that'll be enough. First pitch, 91-mile-an-hour fastball, and Otani ripped it into center for a base hit, but then he picked him off. It was, I mean, it's awesome. The only thing is, the game did miss Joe Buck. Um, I'm a huge Joe Buck fan. I know some people hate Joe Buck. Uh, I'll talk about him a little bit later, but um, the game did miss Joe Buck, and the, the Fox controversy, there was actually a controversy with Fox where they put out a graphic, a terrible graphic, where they used the 9-11 memorial in New York uh, for as a graphic as part of their uh, Sunday night or Saturday night baseball broadcast, and I was like, you know what, if they actually... Um, end up losing the world series broadcast because of this maybe they could give it to espn and buck who works for espn could just broadcast the world series it's almost not worth winning the world series if buck's not doing the game honestly judge had a couple of quotes aaron judge uh had a couple of quotes since you know that's the big news that's the big conversation around the yankees in particular is will he sign the contract won't he sign the contract so he, he had two competing quotes over the weekend the first quote was it's not about the money. I want to stay with the Yankees. Uh, first of all, that's just not true. If it wasn't about the money, you would have taken the $350 million or whatever it was. Eh, it was 280 but still, close enough, that they offered you. I'm sure if he went back to them today, they would offer him 350 or 330 over eight years. So if it wasn't about the money, you'd be a Yankee today for the next eight years. But it is about the money, so don't lie. And then his next quote, at least it was honest, was a kid said, hey, I'm a huge Yankee fan, but I'm a huge Aaron Judge fan what am I going to do if you leave? And he's like, don't worry. There are a lot of good players on the Yankees. Don't be sad. Hopefully you'll stay an Aaron Judge fan, but there's a lot of other good players you could root for on the Yankees. So totally competing because that makes it sound, and that's what he's doing. He's trying to keep the Yankees on their toes and there's you know PR in his ear and there's his agents in his ear and all that stuff. So I totally get it. <laughs> um, but those are making news headlines, so I kind of wanted to talk about it. One thing I didn't hate as much was the uniforms. The uniforms that they wore for the All-Star Games they should still totally go back to wearing their own home uniforms, 100%. But this was better, where it had a taste of the home uniform. I think there is a better hybrid that we can get to. Like, if the Yankees, if the, let's say, well, I'll use a better example, the Phillies, right? They have red pinstripes on their uniforms. So instead of just wearing a white uniform with a gold Phillies logo on it, you could wear the red pinstripes and the Phillies could still be in gold. So like the Yankees, they would still, if they were the home team, wear their blue pinstripes, but the New York or the Yankee interlocking NY would be in, in gold. So I think that is the ultimate thing that we come to. Everyone wears their uniforms. If you're the home team, you wear your home uniforms. If you're the road team, you wear your road uniforms. Just the lettering on the uniform is either gold outlined or just in gold entirely. And that way adds a little bit of a, you know, puts it together for the all-star game. And it's kind of a hybrid. And they started, they moved a little bit away from the regulation uniform to a hybrid uniform this year. There was the gray, there was the white. I get it. It made sense. But it's still cool to see all the different nuances of the different uniforms out there on one field. So uh, I do like that. Giancarlo Stanton was the game MVP. Um, and I love that for Giancarlo, first of all. But for the game, I think how far he's come is unbelievable. From... Even the beginning of last year being booed by Yankee fans, how celebrated he was by Yankee fans for winning the MVP and hitting that bomb of a home run, 300 or 457 feet, 112 miles an hour off the bat. And Yankee fans, these are guys who are booing him nonstop. I went on my podcast last year and criticized Giancarlo Stanton. The guy has always handled it with class, has always handled it the right way, has always answered the questions, and his stock continues to rise in New York, and I couldn't be happier. I don't know if anyone noticed, if you did, let me know, but you may not have known who started the All-Star game for the American League. It was a kid named Shane McClanahan. So who is Shane McClanahan, you ask? He's a young pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays organization, an organization that seems to be turning out 
all-star caliber, Cy Young caliber pitchers left and right, and then just shipping them off to different teams right before they turn not good. It's unbelievable how their farm system just produces these young, incredible pitchers, and then all of a sudden they're traded and they're not good anymore. Blake Snell, Shields, James Shields, a lot of guys. They've done it. David Price. They've done it throughout their history where the second they know the guy's not going to be good anymore, they trade him, they get a huge return, and then the pitcher is immediately bad. I don't know how the Rays do it, but they do it somehow. Either way, the new kid is Shane McClanahan, who's been unbelievable. And we're seeing this across the league. Guys who are somewhat no-name pitchers who had incredible first half of the season. Um, And I do want to talk about this. So Shane McClanahan is one of them. He's leading the league in ERA. I talked last week about how it's not Kershaw and Bueller who are, or I guess it was Monday, who are leading the charge for the Dodgers pitching. Rather, it's Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson, guys who you never heard of who are also at the top of the leaderboard in the league in ERA and other pitching stats. Logan Gilbert in Seattle, a young kid who's come along. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees. And I think we're at a point in baseball where the pitching is so far ahead of the hitting that the biggest advantage you could have as a pitcher is not being seen. Because so many pitchers are doing so many different things that you have such an advantage of watching the film of the hitter and what he does and what he likes to do. And if you've never faced him before... You have the advantage always. So these young pitchers coming to the league with how advanced pitching is have an advantage over the hitters more than some of the guys who have been around forever. And now there's a whole book on them, even though they're still hard to hit because of how good pitching is. But the hitters have all the information on them. They have exactly what your swing plane needs to be in order to hit that specific pitch or that specific pitcher. It's crazy how detailed the game got with all the different statistics and different everything um, and the analytics and all that and so I think that's a huge advantage for the young pitchers and that might be why we're seeing an influx of these young pitchers that doesn't mean that they're going to have incredible careers and this is the guys that they're going to be long term that, that's that's what I think honestly um, but that could just mean that there's a lot of great young talented pitchers in the league these days and hopefully they don't have to all have to go for uh, Tommy John surgery down the road and the league is in good hands I do want to catch up on my MLB stuff that I made some predictions at the beginning of the season and so I want to hold myself accountable see where we're holding see what's happening let's start with my prediction I started in the American League East So I had Toronto winning the division at 102 and 60. The Yankees coming in second place at 93 and 69. Tampa at 91 and 71 in third. Boston at 87 and 75. And the Orioles at only 58 wins and 104 losses. Now, I was obviously wrong about the Yankees unless they have a major collapse. They'll win well over 100 games. I was obviously wrong about Toronto unless they have a major surge. They won't reach 100 wins. I was kind of right about Tampa. They seem like about a 90 to 95 win team. I think they will have a little bit of a surge in the second half. So 91 might be a little bit low. Boston, 87 wins is kind of right where they'll be, I guess. 87 and 75, that's kind of the baseball they've been playing. That's kind of the pace they've been on. And I was way off on the Orioles. I did not expect them to have this incredible run. They're almost at 58 wins now. So it would have to be catastrophic for them to drop to 58 and 104 on the season. In the AL Central... I kind of got this right, but I kind of got this wrong. I had Detroit in the basement, even with the moves they made at 69-93. That I got 100% right. I had Chicago winning the division at 93-69 and and Minnesota being in second place at 82-80. and I was off on Cleveland, 75-87. and So those three teams, and really if you look at Kansas City, who I predicted they'd be 72-90, and the whole division has been so bad that it's kind of all clustered together more. 
yes, the winner of the division will probably win about 90 games, and then it'll be a couple teams in the 80s or something like that. But no one has really separated themselves from that division. In the AL West, I thought Houston would take a major step back. I thought wrong. I had them at 89 wins, making the wild card. They're going to be much better than that. I had Houston at 92 wins. They'll probably end up winning 92 games um, because that's basically where they are. They won't stay as hot as they've been, but they've been a really good team even from the beginning of the season. They'll probably end up at about 90 to 95 wins as well. So 92 kind of makes sense. For some reason, I thought the Angels would put it together. I had them at 80 and 82, which is not a great record, but it's better than anyone would have predicted. Had Texas at 73 and 89 and Oakland at 56 and 106, which obviously they've been awful and they're going to continue to be awful. In the NL East, I had the Phillies winning the division at 162. There's going to be a lot of Phillies predictions on this that I was way off on. I'll admit it. I was off on the Phillies. I thought they'd be great. I had the Mets at 91 and 71. It looks like they'll be a lot better than that. And I had the Atlanta Braves at 90 and 72. Looks like they'll also be a lot better than that. Washington I had at 61 wins. I kind of nailed Miami at 77. That's probably where they'll end up. Washington I had at 61 wins. They might not get there. Probably won't. Milwaukee I had winning the Central, which kind of makes sense still. Um, I had Cincinnati and Pittsburgh at 59 and 57 wins. That also kind of makes sense. And I thought Chicago would be decent. 73 wins, they're not decent. They're awful. I had St. Louis at 83 wins. It looks like St. Louis is better. Milwaukee's not as good. So maybe St. Louis will end up winning more than 100 games or more than 95 games. And Milwaukee will be at about 92, which is what I predicted. I did think the San Francisco Giants actually predicted them to be the World Series champions. That could still happen. They're on a pretty decent pace. I don't know if they're on a 103-win pace, which is what I predicted. But I predicted LA, San Francisco, and San Diego would be at 93 wins, 101 wins for the Dodgers, and 103 wins for San Francisco. That's what I thought. And that kind of still makes sense. Those three teams are going to be the top of the National League West. Now, before I move on, I did want to mention the significant shift. So I took the Mets to win 91 games, and they're over-under on FanDuel, or BetMGM actually, going into the season, was 91.5 wins. So I picked them right about there. Now they're over-under has moved to 104 wins, 104 and a half. So yeah, the Mets are playing way above what I predicted and way above what anyone predicted. Also, the Washington Nationals, their over-under for the season and wins totals was 70.5, 70 and a half wins. And it's moved down to 58 and a half wins, a 12-win drop. So when I predicted them to go 61 and 101, that was kind of more on par than the Vegas predictors. So thank you. I'll take that one as a victory. Baltimore was predicted to win 62 and a half games. And like I said, I had them at 58 wins. And now their number has moved to 75 and a half, which is probably a higher number than what the Angels are today. If I, had, if I had to guess off the top of my head, I don't know what the Angels number is right now. And the Oakland Athletics, they were at a 68 and a half win total. That was their projection. And now it's down to 58 and a half win total for their over under much closer to mine, which I had them at 56 wins. Now, I did also predict Vladdy Guerrero Jr. would win the AL MVP. Garrett Cole would win the AL Cy Young. The NL MVP would be Bryce Harper. And I thought Zach Wheeler would win the NL Cy Young. Now, I I can't say I was way off on those, but I was off on those. Um, Vladdy Jr. could have a surge in the second half. He's had a decent season, but it would take a lot for him to overcome the season that Judge and Otani are having. He's at 270 with 20 homers, 57 RBIs. 830 OPS at the break. That's a really good statistical season for Vladdy. I still think he could come back and probably win the AL MVP. I wouldn't put it past him, but it would take a huge surge from both his team, the Blue Jays, and from him personally. 
Bryce Harper was actually having an MVP season. He was batting 320 with 15 homers, 48 RBIs, 9 stolen bases, and 984 OPS. But he got hurt. So if anything threw a wrench in Bryce Harper's MVP season, it was his injury. And you can't really blame that one on me. Garrett Cole, by the way. So Shane McClanahan and everyone's talking about Nestor and everyone's talking about a lot of people. Um, but Garrett Cole, 9-2, 3.02 ERA, 113 innings, 147 strikeouts, and a .98 whip. And he's been surging lately. I think he's actually going to have a great second half. I'm kind of trying to speak it into existence as a Yankee fan, but I do think he's going to have a great second half, and I think he could actually make it close and try and make a case for the Cy Young, for Garrett Cole. He's 9-2, and two, by the way. So the record, even though the slow start, didn't really hurt him that much. But in the NL, the Cy Young Award is not going to go to Zach Wheeler, who's had a nice season, but Sandy Alcantara, I think, is just going to throw, just run away with it. He has a 9-4 record with a 1.76 ERA, 123 strikeouts, 138 innings, and a .9 whip. He's been unbelievable. So those were my predictions. We'll get back to them at the end of the season. We'll follow up and we'll see where I went wrong, where I went right. But so far, I've been pretty decent at predicting the Major League Baseball season, so thank you. Elsewhere in baseball, the first episode of the Derek Jeter documentary dropped. Uh, which was much anticipated. I actually just saw a rerun of it on ESPN, on ESPN2, actually, uh, after the ESPYs. So the first thing, I just a couple takeaways. I'm not going to do a full recap of the first episode. Maybe I'll do a recap of the second episode, um, which comes out Thursday. So if you're listening to the podcast, it comes out tonight. Episode two will be on uh, ESPN, I think, and definitely on ESPN+. And after the first episode was really good, I thought um, the second episode should be awesome as well. The first thing, and this is just a few takeaways, like I said, I'm not going to do a full recap. The word can't was a curse word in the Jeter household. The Jeter parents were incredible parents. They were a major story in the first episode, what they had to go through as a biracial couple in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in that era. And the fact that they raised the ki- their kids the way they did, and how people would laugh and people would tell them, teachers and others would say, hey, you got to give your kids realistic expectations. And they said, don't say can't. Derek Jeter was not the best baseball player on his team. I saw in some of the videos in like high school, he's playing third base. He's this little skinny kid. And they told him to dream big. They told him, do what you want to do. And he wanted to be the shortstop of the New York Yankees. And guess what? He was. And he did it for 20 years because they told him to chase what he wants. And they told him, don't ever say the word can't. It's never, I can't do anything. I can do anything. And if you force yourself and you try and make things happen good things happen. Something that was interesting to me that I took out of it was people hated George Steinbrenner. This was the second thing. When he was suspended in what, 1991 or 1990, they found out, first of all, how do you find out in that era? I was thinking about this in 1990, it's announced during the game that George Steinbrenner is going to be suspended. And people are, there's murmuring around the station, the stadium. And all of a sudden everyone starts cheering. And John Sterling talks about it on the broadcast. He's like, and a crazy turn of events. It's he's going to be suspended. George Steinbrenner is going to be suspended. And I don't know, he wasn't announcing it to the crowd. So I guess someone was uh, probably had one of those like radios with them. Those like transistor transistor. I don't even know what they're called. I work in radio. I don't know what they're called. Radio is old. (laughs) I'm working it, but radio is an old timey thing. (laughs) Um, And, Somebody must have had one with them because they knew that George Steinbrenner was suspended as the owner of the New York Yankees and people knew and it was out there already. And so um, I don't know how people knew, like I said, but people knew already and it was making its rounds and everyone started cheering because George Steinbrenner was hated. 
Like we think and, and perspective is everything. And, and like I always say, and things change so quickly. People hated George Steinbrenner because he had this image of terrible Yankee teams from the late ni- from the late eighties and the early nineties. And people thought George was the reason why. And it was kind of a blessing in disguise that George was gone because Gene Michael took over and that allowed them to draft and develop a young Derek Jeter, a young Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada. And if Steinbrenner was meddling, then who knows what would have happened. And then he comes back and spends all the money and all of a sudden it's George Steinbrenner is a legend. We love George Steinbrenner. Like it's so crazy how the times change and how perspective on something can change so quickly. Another thing is how incredible Buck Showalter was. So I did not know this, but George Steinbrenner comes back. The 95 season happens where the team is really close. Kind of reminded me of the Rangers season this year, or I guess going into 96. All of a sudden, everyone gets fired at the end of the 95 season because it ended in such a disappointing way. There's a major changeup. Don Mattingly is gone. And then the next year, the Yankees come back and win the World Series. So it's kind of like the Rangers before this year where... You know, there's the whole front office turnover and everything that happened with Jeff Gordon and all that. And they bring in the new guys and the new head coach and all of a sudden they're in the Stanley Cup or a couple games away from the Stanley Cup final. So there's a similarity there, but I didn't realize Buck Showalter was not fired. Buck Showalter was asked to fire four of his coaches, four members of his coaching staff and said, I'm not coming back if they're not coming back. And that's why he left. Buck Showalter made, played a huge role in the development of these young guys and built the late 90s Yankee dynasty. He deserves credit for it. And I know Yankee fans like to hate on the Mets. That Met fans love Buck Showalter. And it's always, oh, Buck's the best ever. Buck Showalter's amazing. And how much Buck, the Mets fans love Buck Showalter. But Buck Showalter really is amazing. He really is special. The Mets have a good one out there. He left because George wasn't willing to bring back four of his assistant coaches and four of his staff members. And he said, without them, I'm not coming back. Find yourself another manager. Really, Buck Showalter is awesome. Another thing that I noticed, and this kind of motivated me personally, was Derek Jeter crying when he was in rookie ball that he wanted to go home. When he got called up to A-ball at the end of the season because they wanted him to play a few more weeks of games, he wanted to go home. He was upset because he was playing so poorly. Like, that's so relatable. Like, can you imagine, like, sometimes no matter what we're doing, no matter who you are, no matter how talented you are, and this is a guy who grew up saying in a family where it was, you can never say that you can't do something, and yet he wanted to go home. He, he didn't want to be there because he just thought he couldn't make it. So everyone has doubts. So even a guy like Derek Jeter, who became the greatest baseball player, one of the greatest baseball players in Yankees history, one of the most iconic players in Yankee history. At the beginning of his career as a first-round, sixth-overall draft pick, he had doubts. So everyone goes through those times where it's like, hey, I don't, am I doing the right thing? Uh, maybe I should go back to school. He thought he asked his parents if he could give them money back if he could go back to school. Because he was like, I made, I made a mistake. This isn't for me. So everyone has those moments. And it's kind of cool that a guy like that, who he said something so relatable. He said for the first time in his life, he was standing at shortstop thinking to himself, just don't hit it to me. Just don't hit it to me. Just don't hit it to me. I think that like every time I'm at second base in my baseball league that I play. By the way, I wanted to mention this before and I forgot. I play in a baseball league, hardball men's baseball league. It's 18 
to 33, I think, is the league I play in. Um, so it's a lot of young kids, kids who played in high school or college, and some of them even D1 college baseball players, like really good play, baseball players, a lot of good competition. Um, and I'm, you know, one of the worst guys there. I'm not the worst guy on my team. So that's that's good. Um, and I, I play a good second base, and I, I can hit a little bit against 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. Not great. Um, I saw a curveball down the middle that just kind of buckled my knee, and it was like probably like a 65-mile-an-hour curveball that I could have crushed. But when you're expecting something else and you're so worried about the 90-mile-an-hour fastball, that curveball that looks like it's coming at you and then just curves in, I see why it's a tough tough thing to play, tough sport to play. Um, so I get humbled by playing. I played two games in back-to-back days earlier this week, and I always complain about Aaron Judge wanting two days off or a day off when he already has a day off. He wants another game off that week or guys coming out late in games because for defensive replacements to get them off their feet. 162 games in, like, what, 190 days or probably even less, like 180 days, is absurd. What baseball players do, I don't know why. My legs are so tired from playing two games in a row. So... Baseball players who I like to make fun of for like, oh, you're just playing a baseball game. For some reason, it's hard. I can't tell you why, but it's hard. It, it, it does stress the body. I, I don't know. It just does. Um, anyway, I was talking about Derek Jeter. He made 56 errors when he was in A-ball. Can you imagine how that would play out today in the Twitter era, social media era? We'd be getting TikToks of Jeter making another error, error and guys like, this is the guy that we're keeping in a minor league system. We should be trading him for this and that. If George Steinbrenner was there, thank God he was suspended. Because if he was there, he would have been gone in a minute. We know that he almost wanted to trade him for Omar Vizquel in 95, who was at the end of his career. Or at the end of his prime. So, yeah, I, I talked about not hugging prospects before. Like I said, there's all the reasons why in this case I think you shouldn't be hugging the prospects. But, like, we would have been throwing the prospects away. We would have been crapping on Jeter and sending him away. At 21 years old or whatever it was, 19 years old, after all the errors he was making when he was in A-ball, that's crazy to me how the, the reaction. Another thing, and I talked about this with George Steinbrenner, how we always think now is the worst and we think, oh, Hal, we, we talk about how bad Hal was and how amazing George was and how George was not actually always loved. We talk about how bad baseball is and how bad Rob Manfred is and the lockout this year. Can you imagine the 94 season? Just the middle of the season, the Yankees are having the season that they're having, and you cut the season short, and it's like, all right, everyone go home, pack your bags, season's over. Like, that's insane. That's something, like, we love to talk about how bad things are today, and when you look, and I listen to uh, one of the, the latest Ryan Rosillo podcasts, this is how you know there's no sports, was about um, the Civil War. He was doing a book review with a guy who wrote a book about the Civil War, and he's like, everyone likes to talk about the conflict today, and and the guy even said that he has interviews, and the interviewer will be like, well, it's similar to the conflict today, wouldn't you say? And he's like, no, 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 you didn't read the book if you think the conflict today, any division in the country today is at all, in any way, shape, or form, similar to what, what happened in America in the time of the Civil War, and even in the 1800s, and the late 1700s, and early 1800s, and even the late 1800s. Yeah, it's just kind of funny how we look at today as always the worst. Like, Rob Manfred, as bad as he is, at least he didn't cancel the season completely. At least he didn't, in the middle of a baseball season, say, we're not having it. So, just have some perspective, is my point, I guess. All right, I've been going really long, but I want to talk about the ESPYs. Because the ESPYs, like I said, one of my favorite nights every year, um, and it's a nostalgia thing, I know, but it gets to me. And the Jimmy V Foundation is something that's special to me. When I hear these people who are either cancer survivors or unfortunately battling cancer um, and talk about what the, the research and the money can do and what 
you know they're going through and the minds that they have some of these people are the strongest people and it's why we love sports it's it's what brings people together and you get to see why we love sports you get to see people being brought together and the warriors own the night that was the first thing obviously steph hosted he wins the award for best male athlete clay thompson wins the award for comeback player which was bs trey mancini should have won it but whatever i have the baltimore bias now because i'm i've been in baltimore too long i'm starting to have baltimore bias Draymond did a whole mini podcast episode in the middle of the uh, whole ESPYs. And then the team, they all went up there and won the team award for the best team. So they really did own the night, if you're the Warriors. Joe Buck came out, and Joe Buck was reading off the script that, you know, he obviously probably wrote or somebody wrote for him, and he's reading off the teleprompter. And then they showed the video. He was introducing Albert Pujols. First of all, after missing, uh, missing Joe Buck in the All-Star game, just getting to see him come out there and do anything was awesome to see. I was happy to see him. <laughs> it felt like I hadn't seen him in forever. And he then goes off script and is like, but I, I know you guys, you know, I'm supposed to present the award now to Pujols, but I just want to go off script for a moment, if you'll allow me. And it'll be really quick. And I just want to say how special of a person Albert. And he just went into this monologue that was so concise and so well said and just with his powerful voice and just... It was awesome, and I miss Joe Buck. Can't wait for football season to have him back, and hopefully we'll have him back in a baseball booth soon. And then Pujols. Pujols, I didn't know about this organization that he has. Um, I didn't know that he's literally taking care of medical bills for an entire like community, an entire city, or even I don't even know where he's from. And then he has the organization because he has a, a, a daughter with Down syndrome, and he has the organization for kids with Down syndrome and for adults with Down syndrome and people with Down and how much he does for them and just the videos. And he seems like a really, really awesome, genuine dude. And I know there were some rumors about him earlier this year and who knows what's what and what's only rumors, but Pujols, like I said, it, it's fun to root for guys that are just good people and watching that stuff. I was like moved. I was like, wow, he's like, he's actually just that special of a guy. And I, and that's awesome. That's awesome to see that there are certain athletes out there that are really, and, and, the power that he uses his platform and he uses sports to bring people together and make a positive change in the world is just that's awesome also they had a tribute to literally the greatest mayor of all time who won the arthur ash award vitaly klitschko klitschko i think is how you pronounce his name is the mayor of kiev and he is actually which is just this is just insane he in the war for Ukraine against Russia, he's actually been going and bringing food to shelters, going and bringing people to shelters, going and speaking at the hospital and talking to people, and going to people's homes. And then he's going out in an army uniform with a gun and fighting for his country and fighting for his nation and fighting for his people. What? Can you imagine, like, if the president of the United States or even just, like, the mayor of a city of, like, New York, like, actually went... Like there was a fire and he's like went to go save people or there was, God forbid, a war, a war here. And the actual, you know, mayor or president was going out and putting himself on the line and putting himself amongst the people and not just hiding in his high castle. Like, OK, you know, my t- speaking like, I don't know, talking points to the media like this guy's living it with his people. This guy's going through it. He's one of them. And to me, I. That's how all our leaders should be, honestly, because none of our leaders can relate to the day-to-day that we live. None of the people who control what actually happens can relate to the day-to-day that we have. 
And so the fact that he can, he's literally, that was a moment that was just crazy to me. And then the Dick Vitale speech. And I can't even begin to recap it because it was so special. And he was talking about Jimmy V and he was talking about raising money and the, but how powerful it was and how much he talked about how sports played a role in it and everything. And just my, I, just minor, I don't talk about it a lot, but I do have some experience um, with cancer and specifically kids with cancer. I volunteered at a summer camp for three summers in a row um, working with kids with cancer. And I've seen those kids and I've seen what research can do. And I've seen what, unfortunately, these kids and families go through. And he was talking about how his friend, his friends that he made and the people that, that he considers his friends. He said he went to funerals of kids and adults that he considers friends now because they were like he was their support group and they were supporting each other and he talks about everything and 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 the and the platform that he has and what he's done with it is just remarkable i i'll I'll put a link if i find one in the description to his interview or to his speech i should say the dude is incredible and i know he's a word master and so that's that's literally his job but that was such an amazing moment and a night like tonight the espies is everything that is right with sports and with everything that's wrong and everything that's going on in the country um, and everything that's going on in the world it feels like stuff is divided all the time but tonight is the everything that's right with sports the jokes we're able to poke fun of it we're able to take our mind off of stuff by just having fun and using it as a distraction but also using it as a platform to make good things happen a platform to make positive change and really make people come together and help people help inspire people and help use it as a platform. You know, I talked about with Derek Jeter, like how him saying can't was a bad word or the learning from his experience, learning that he wanted to go home and how I could take that to my career where sometimes there are down days where I'm getting yelled at by the guy whose show I'm producing at three o'clock in the morning happens. It just does. It happens. And it feels like the job sucks and it's taking a step back and saying, okay, no, this is awesome. There's, there's so much good here. Having the attitude, having the positive attitude is just that's what sports is awesome for. I did see one funny thing before I wrap up because I know I've been going forever. But LeBron James actually, because Steph had the joke where he called out LeBron, where he's like, he, was, he had a couple jokes calling out the Lakers, talking about the old, um, you know, talking about uh, how oh the only team that wins in LA oh they should get a bunch of old stars, old washed up guys. They go to LA. That's what we do. Whatever. It's a couple of jokes that Steph Curry had about. LeBron and there was a fake tweet by Bleacher Report spelled ble like B L E A T C H E R report um, put up a fake tweet from LeBron. Steph is all all caps hilarious man laughing emoji at SBS y'all nailed the cut with this one. But what's even more funny is to try and see him play a healthy team in the playoffs. All jokes, though. Hashtag just a kid from Akron, Ohio. Hashtag I'm still king. And this had like 30,000 likes on it. And you know why? Because that literally could have been a tweet that LeBron sent out. And maybe I'll do this on another episode because I have, like I said, coming up, I'm going to do, I have a little bit of NBA talk to do. I have an interesting idea for the NBA. So teasers, spoilers for next episode. Teasers, I guess. I have an interesting NBA idea um about how we can fix contracts in the nba i talked to a friend of mine who uh is a huge soccer fan and he said it's been a problem in soccer forever with these billionaire owners who just i mean it's on a crazy level there apparently how little the players and owners respect the contracts 
Um, I do, like I mentioned, the top 32 quarterbacks, and we're going to go and do the elimination process of the quarterbacks. And I came up with my list. I'm sure nobody is going to be angry. I already wrote out the list for my top 32 quarterbacks, rated them 1 through 32 going into the season. Um, So we'll do that on another episode. But also maybe we'll talk a little bit about LeBron and how he just closed his mouth he'd actually maybe be considered the greatest player of all time. That's my hot take, and I'll explain it uh, on next episode. So until then, I do need to wrap it up. So until then, like, subscribe, share it. Please do. Everyone, like I said, I really appreciate the people who reach out. And if every single person who reached out and said they were listening and said they love it uh, went and then decided to share the podcast with someone um, that also might like it, then that would help me tremendously. Like I said, the link in the description for... Uh, better help the therapy online therapy um, and a whole bunch of other stuff like I said that can just help the podcast the the videos that I'm posting on Twitter YouTube Instagram um, all that stuff so like subscribe rate review share it and reach out to me if you like it and that really helps me it really gives me confidence so I appreciate it all and until next time you know what we're going to be talking about we just don't know when like I said hopefully Sunday night until then see ya you were the best nights of my life You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only oh, 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 that I'll ever know oh, oh, My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway's reach our life hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be
I ain't changing it all. Oh, I'm still young. 